Turn to the book of Hebrews. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a copy of the Scriptures. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. It is good to be together today, isn't it? We come in here broken, beaten down by the world, and we're reminded of truth. You know, the things that discourage us out there aren't always reality. Not, not real reality, if that makes sense. It's a form of reality, but it's not the fullness of reality. We come in here, we're reminded of truth. It's good to see a little baby with us today. First Sunday, Nyla. Stay away, everybody's sick, so nobody kissing Nyla today, all right? Just, just kind of... <laughs> That's right. That's right. You hear that, Chapman? Dowry's too high. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. I want to speak this morning on this theme, showing up. Showing up. Hebrews chapter 10, let me read a couple verses from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 27. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Four, if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we get into your word today that you would encourage us as we have shown up this morning and as we are a people who are committed to, to con, uh, continue showing up that we might endure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 This is the time of year where you look outside and into the gray skies and you see flocks of birds overhead heading south. I think of geese. They fly in what shape? A V, the famous V shape. But you might not know why they fly in a V shape. The reason, supposedly, I'm not a bird scientist or whatever they call the, the people that study birds, but supposedly the reason is is because uh, the, the effect of uh, uh, flapping wings in front of a, one bird creates an uplift for the bird directly behind it. And so they fly in these V-shapes, which allows all of the birds, except for the first one, to fly with the help of the community. It creates uh, a 71% greater flying range for birds than if they flew, flew solo. 
In the animal kingdom, you can easily see the benefit, the effect, and even the expectation of community. Geese fly in V's. Wolves hunt in packs. Elephants travel in herds. Penguins make it through the winter in, they're called, <laughs> in ice. <laughs> yeah. All right, somebody give Tony a prize for that one. They're called huddles. They make it through the winter in huddles. And Christians gather in churches. <laughs> you know, the first four, everybody's like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And then the last, what? Christians do what? Now, of course, you guys are all here, so I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> but uh, a lot of Christians would raise their eyebrows at that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to liken Christians gathering in churches to wolves hunting in packs? It's just that natural? It should be. You don't need to defend and explain why wolves travel in packs. You don't need to defend and explain why elephants travel in herds. You don't need to argue to a group of geese why it would be better for them to flock together in a V-shape. But because of our sinful nature, sometimes we've got to stop and we've got to talk to Christians and we've got to explain why we need each other. And that's what we're doing here for two weeks. We're calling this series Sundays Matter. And it's a simple two-week series on why it is so vastly important that we gather together on Sundays for worship. So last week, we saw the promise. The promise is this. When you have the gathering of God's people, Jesus is present. Today, I want to draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 10, specifically verse 25, where you see they're not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, a.k.a. do not forsake the assembly, as it's often referred to. Today, we see the command. Now, I just want to re reiterate what I talked about last week, and that is this. Before we get the command, here in Hebrews 10, Jesus gave us a promise in the Gospels. He's present but I want you to now dwell on and hear the command for us to not forsake the gathering of the saints. We do not gather out of some sense of religious duty. We don't go to church out of just simply a sense of, well, that's what Christians are supposed to do, and it's time to go to church, and I call myself a Christian, and so I need to go. We don't, we, we recognize that God doesn't just require things of us as a test of whether or not we love Him. Now, don't get me wrong, obedience is indeed a test of our love for God. But God doesn't just give us arbitrary rules and say, I want you to follow these ten things and wear a certain color and put your hat a certain, you see what I'm saying? And, and do these certain things in order to show me that you 
love me. No, all of his rules, while they are a test of our obedience, his rules are always for our good. They are always for our benefit. So, this morning as we look at this command that we ought to be together, let's ask this question. What is the good of gathering? What's the good of it? Well, Hebrews, as in chapter 10, the author gives us the command to gather. He shows us, in doing so, the good of gathering. I want to approach these couple verses with three points, which together make one sentence. Here's my three points and my sentence. Point number one, we need each other. Point number two, we need each other at church. And point number three, we need each other at church so that we may endure. We need each other at church so that we may endure. Let's look at it together first. We see in verse 24, this first point, this congregational instruction, we need each other. Before we get into the verse, I'll give you somewhat of a structure of the passage. In verses 19 through 21, we are reminded of the gospel. We're reminded that we can boldly approach the throne of God. We can come before God with great confidence, not because of our flesh, not because we went to church every Sunday, not because we do all these things and do our prayers and read our Bible. We approach Him through the blood of Jesus, through the flesh of Jesus. Verses 19 through 21 reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Now, let me just say this to start off my sermon. If you don't know that you're saved, that would be my primary emphasis for you this morning, is to know that you can come to God through Christ. You know Christ, you know the Father. He is the one door. He is the road to heaven, to the Father. Jesus Christ, flesh, His body was ripped apart. He was broken. He was crucified for us who ought to have been ripped apart, for us who should have died. He died in our place. Why? It's because we are sinners in need of judgment, and God is a loving God, and Christ willingly was sent as God in the flesh to be the sacrifice to take on Himself our punishment for sin. He took my judgment in His own body on the tree. When He bled, He bled for me. His blood then covers my sins. The Bible says all who trust in the, forg- uh, uh, the blood of Christ, they are forgiven people. Your sins are washed away. They are as white as snow. And he doesn't stay dead, but three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, defeating death in the grave. And Jesus says, all who come to me, who, all who come through me, come to the Father. Repent, turn from your sins, and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, if we don't understand this, I'm concerned that as we get into this command to attend church, that you might think you go to church so that you'll go to heaven. You see what I'm saying? The, the assurance that we have doesn't come from the commands that are here given. 
The commands that are given flow from the confidence and the assurance that we have in verses 19 through 21. Are you tracking with me? When, as we talk today about coming to church and the importance of it, I want you to know that this is an application of our confidence in Jesus Christ. It's an application of the fact that we can boldly stand before God, and so we boldly then want to stand before God in His gathered presence. He then goes on after verses 19 through 21, assuring us of our salvation with three different exhortations. We're not going to take time to walk through them, but the first one is right there in verse 22, and it's it's the exhortation to worship, to live lives of worship. The second exhortation is in verse 23, and that is the exhortation to stand firm in the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the Bible. And then the third exhortation, which is the one that we're looking at today, is this exhortation found in verses 24 and 25, and that is be together, gather with each other. And then he ends this little section with a warning in verses 26 and 27. And that is a warning of hell. Meaning all of these things are God's means to keep those who are part of this covenant with Jesus Christ in the covenant. They are means of perseverance. They're means that we might continue to stay with Christ in His people until that final day. So as we look at it, as we get into this third exhortation then, what we see is that we need each other. We can learn a lot from the the verbs that are used. In verse 24, he says, let us consider. Everybody say consider. Let us consider. Consider means to have some thought. To give it some thought. Meaning, so often we come into relationships with each other. And we walk around and we come to church and, and I'm like, hey, how you doing, Aisha? Good to see you. Things good? All right. And we just move on. And I didn't even care what her answer is. Because I'm not giving it any thought. Are you tracking with me? (laughs) Consider means that we give each other some thought. So is this individual struggling in some fashion? Do they have any fears? Do they have any doubts? Do they have any worries? Are they hurting in some fashion? You see what I'm saying? We come with a readiness to give each other some thought. And it is, it is so tempting, especially when you're in a crowd of people. I am probably the chief of sinners. To be in a conversation with one person, and all you can do is think of all the other people that you ought to be in a conversation with, and you can't even focus on this one. And you repeat that over and over and over and over until the party's over, it's ended, and you realize, I didn't connect with one person. <laughs> no, when you're talking to somebody, we come and we give them thought. Consider. Consider what in particular? He goes on. He says, consider how you might stir up. Everybody say, stir up. Stir up up means to incite or ignite or to provoke or to stimulate. We are stimulating what? He says we're stimulating others to love and to good works. So, in particular, the kind of thought that we're giving 
to our brothers and sisters is not just simply a counseling session. The kind of thought we're giving to the relationships on a Sunday morning or whenever we gather is, in particular, how might I ignite a sense of holiness, a sense of worship, a sense of good works, a sense of love in this brother or in this sister? How can I stir them up? Wow! This means every single person who's part of a local church has a responsibility to ignite something in somebody else. And that something is in particular a, a part of their sanctification. It's, it's uh, some, some aspect uh, in their life, uh, some, something that they might add or something they might change or something they might do in order to look more like their older brother, Jesus Christ. I wonder what it would look like if every single person came to church with thought thinking, how can I stir up love and good works in one person this morning, in somebody? Notice he doesn't say, stir up love and good works in yourself. Now, granted, we need to also be stirring up love and good works in ourselves, and that's through our personal Bible reading, our daily devotions that we ought to be having at home. We ought to be living lives that go against the grain of society. We ought to be having attitudes and words and deeds that can be copied. But in particular, when we're coming together, we're thinking of others. Meaning, there is this community aspect to our sanctification. Meaning, listen, I, as this, I'm not just talking metaphorically, I, as the senior pastor of this church, I need you. I need you to stir up love and good works in me. We need each other. We are like a team. Have you, how many of you have ever played a team sport in your life? Good, most of you. We, well, like a team, we need each other. If you play team sports in high school, team sports in high school, remember how your coach would get on to you a little bit? Someone, someone once asked the question, they said, what would it be like if high school sports coaches acted like pastors? Hey, coach, uh, I'm not going to be able to come to practice today. Okay, no problem. We'll see you next time. Hope you can make it. <laughs> Haven't showed up to practice or a game in three weeks. Hey, just a little concerned. Everything okay? Okay. Glad to hear you're still alive. Love to get you out on the field someday. Come on back. <laughs> no, we, unfortunately, we, we took our high school sports more seriously than we take our church. <laughs> we understand it when a high school coach gets onto us, and we, we actually see it as a good thing. We see him as being a coach who's concerned about the team, about winning the game. And he understands that even if you, are a, you ride the bench, you still have a part on that team, 
and you better be at every single practice and every single game on time. But sometimes as we get older, we just get soft. We forget what's important in life. Family, we are a team. This game matters more than any high school sports game you have ever played in your life. I don't care if you made it to state. The game that we are playing as a local church is far more important than winning a state championship. Your place on this team is far more important than your place on any team you've ever been on. Oh, let's not, let's not forsake it. You see, what I, see, you see what he's saying? He's saying simply this. We need each other. Why? It's because we've got to be stirring something up in each other. We've got to be igniting in something, uh, something in one another. And, and if you don't think you have a role, you, you've got to know you do. You've got a role on this team. I need you. We need you. So that kind of leads then to the next point, and that is this. We need each other at church. Not just like metaphorically, hey, I'm kind of there, but never really there. We need each other at church. We need each other when we gather. We need, we need each other when we eat our family meals together. We need each other to show up, to come, to be present in order to be able to obey what it's telling us in Hebrews chapter 10. So let's look at it in verse 25. He says, not neglecting, so this is an application of stirring up, considering one another, stirring up loving good works, not neglecting to meet together. Not neglecting, that word simply means to abandon. Do not abandon your people. Do not abandon your family. Don't neglect meeting together. Now, meeting together in the original language is one word. And that one word, which could also be translated gathering or assembly, that one word is only used in two places in the New Testament. It's used here in Hebrews chapter 10 to reference the gathering of the church on earth, and it's also used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, to reference the gathering of the church in heaven. Those are the only two places that word is used. The gathering of the church here, and the gathering of the church there. How many of you would like to miss the gathering of the church there? You see where I'm going with this. I think there's a theological connection between the two. I think the Bible's making a point for us. The gathering on earth is a foretaste of the gathering in heaven. The gathering on earth uh, somehow mysteriously has to do with the gathering in heaven. Valuing and prizing the gathering of God's people on earth is to value and prize the value of God's people where? In heaven. Do you think you will be part of the gathering in heaven, but you neglect the gathering on earth? Do, do you believe that you value 
the gathering of God's people when Jesus comes back. Yet you abandon the gathering of His people on earth. Do not forsake, he says, this assembly. Do not forsake this gathering. Is it ever okay to skip church? Well, let's, okay, hold up. If I'm puking, Tony, I ain't coming. All right? And I hope you don't come either if you're puking. Call me and say, Joe, I can't, I'm not coming. Call Troy. Tell Troy, don't pick me up. Not coming today. If you're sick, I mean, you're just not going to be able to make it. <laughs> uh, I mean, what I'm saying is we're not like legalists. Like, oh, if you skip a Sunday because I'm puking, that means I'm going to hell. H hold up, what kind of cult are you part of? <laughs> Brandon Postrowski hit me up this morning. Everybody in the family is sick, sorry, you're not going to be able to be there. Understood. Understood. <laughs> if you're sick... Probably a good reason to skip church. Now, you wake up and your elbow hurts a little bit. Like, hmm, I wonder if this qualifies as sick. Did a little too many biceps uh, uh, curls yesterday. You're out of town, and there's no church. I, I, by the way, I think when we're out of town, we sh should still find an assembly to gather with. I don't think that it only applies to your local church back home. Um, so when you're on vacation in, in Tahiti, uh, which I know we all go to Tahiti every year, right? Let's find, t you know, where's the local Tahiti Baptist Church? Let's go gather with them. Um, but assuming you're out of town and there's literally no church around, which is possible in some, some places where you go, and you choose to have a time of worship at home with your spouse or your friend, makes sense. We had a new baby. You have a new baby. You might need to skip a couple Sundays for the sake of the baby's health. Germs floating around this room. But here's the point, though, and I'm quoting somebody with this. If, if you are able to go to church, meaning you're not sick, you're in town, whatever, you're able to go to church and you choose not to, you're sinning because you commanded it. And so you're willingly choosing to forsake something. It's, it's, it's sin. It's ongoing sin to then get into a habit where we're neglecting the gathering of God's people, even though we could be there. John Owen was a pastor hundreds of years ago, and he wrote a little book uh, for his people on this subject. You know, churches in the past, they, they took it a little more seriously than churches do today. And, uh, and so pastors would write books on how to observe the Lord's Day. That was the name of his book. We actually, we're going to give you a copy. Wawa, could you hold one of those up? I'm going to give you a little copy of this little booklet. Make sure you get one of these from Wawa after uh, it's upside down, but it's all good. They can't read it anyway. So, for instance, in, in John Owen's book, uh, based on this concept, we, we can't forsake the assembly, 
he starts off by encouraging and, and, and shepherding his people to begin Saturday nights. To take Saturday nights as, as the beginning of their time of worship and, and to take a time of meditation on God's Word and to prepare their hearts and if they have a, a family or anybody else in the house to get the house together and, and to begin reading through the Scriptures for the next day and to prepare themselves. Or a pastor from our own era today, uh, uh, Kevin DeYoung, he tweeted, I loved his tweet, he, he said, um, the best way for you to use your Saturdays is to get ready for Sundays. And the focus here is on the assembly. What can I do to make sure that I don't neglect the assembly? Uh, some years ago, we had a family in our church here who uh, was having a hard time getting to church on Sundays. And so we were talking, and they said, you know, we just have so much going on. We have laundry and uh, grocery shopping, and Sundays end, ends up being our laundry and shopping day. And I said, well, what about Saturdays? And they said, well, Saturdays is like family day. We set aside Saturdays to do stuff as family, et cetera. And I said, well, just a thought, what if you flip those? What if you use Saturdays to do your laundry and to go shopping, and then Sundays became family day, where you start off going to church as a family and then maybe going to you know, your grand, uh, grandparents or parents' house or wherever it is that you like to go on your family day. And they were like, Wow, I just never thought of that. <laughs> it's like the next week, they're like, hey, uh, today's family day, and we've got like nothing to do. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's all about this, the assembly. It, it's, what can I do? What, what, what does wisdom say as it relates to how I structure my time so that I won't forsake the assembly? Now, I don't want to get legalistic about how you use your time. Uh, this, this isn't a... Um, you know, you shall not do a list of things on a Sunday. This isn't some kind of legalistic set aside 24 hours and, and don't do this, this, and this, and this. It's really more about what you should do. What you should do is be with God's people. Be ready to exhort. Be ready to be hospitable. Be ready to linger. Be, be ready to pray. And so then, uh, is it okay then to take a job, say, on Sunday afternoons? Is it okay then to do laundry on Sunday afternoons? Well, it's not necessarily a right or a wrong thing. It's a question of wisdom. How you spend your Sunday afternoons uh, can, can really help you determine uh, or, or help frame how you spend that time at the assembly. So, for example, Montrell and I were able to go pray with a family last Sunday afternoon because we had nothing planned on a Sunday afternoon. So we were able to kind of linger. Does that make sense? Um, at the same time, uh, I, I don't want us to walk away with a long list of extra-biblical, legalistic rules that are attached to Sundays or Saturday nights. I want you to focus your attention on what the Lord requires of us, and that is the assembly. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? All right, so let's go on then. I'll give you my sentence so far. We need each other. At church, everybody say that, we need each other. At church, here's the last part, so that we may endure. Look at verse 25, the last part of verse 25. He says, but encouraging, this is the positive, encouraging one another. So negative, don't forsake the assembly. This, here's what you should do. Encourage each other 
all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is that day? Well, that's the day of judgment. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day when Jesus comes back and, and, uh, and comes to take the promised land that is His and, and uh, restores His people and, and, and restores His kingdom on earth and the wicked are judged forever in hell. Every day we live our lives, that final day gets near, nearer. As we see time ticking, and as we see that day getting nearer, all the more, let's be sure that we are gathering. And then he gives this warning, which really doesn't just frame this exhortation, but it frames the whole of this section based on the gospel, let us live this kind of life, and here's the warning, for, in verse 26, for, meaning everything that comes after is the incentive for what we just spoke about, for, if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. If we go on sinning deliberately, now we need to balance this and measure this against everything else that we know. We know that we are secure in Christ. We know that there is no amount of sin that will cause a believer to lose their salvation. At the same time, we also know that a deliberate uh, decision, decision to sin, to sin a, a, a habit of sinning, a giving oneself over to a lifestyle of sin should concern you. And if that person ends up in hell, we would say that they never truly understood the gospel. Listen, this is a warning that goes to Everybody. And don't get it twisted. I'm not saying you can't lose your salvation, but what I'm saying is this. This warning becomes a very means of perseverance for God's people. Meaning the doctrine that we cannot lose our salvation is, is, is wrapped around this, this understanding that we will actually persevere in the faith. It's not that we just say a prayer of salvation and then live however we want to live. You know that you're a Christian when you persevere, as you persevere. Every day, you wait, every Sunday, even this morning as we were singing songs, and one of the songs was prone to wander, come thou found, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I mean, I think that moves us every time because we always, we say, yeah, that's so, that's me. Like this week, this last week, I was prone to wander. I'm looking at, uh, sin, I'm like, that looks better than holiness, right? And I, I, there's, there's always this, this temptation to abandon the Lord. And so I'm standing here singing this song, and, I, and I'm praising God for the fact that right now I'm being reminded that I am a Christian, that I have persevered through the week, and that I didn't give myself over to sin. Does that make sense? This warning, its use is so that God's people might endure, so that we might persevere. He's essentially saying this, 
the gospel is proclaimed in this community. And if you leave the place where the gospel is proclaimed, there is no community out there that is proclaiming any hope of salvation. You can, you can join other clubs. You can go to uh, other circles of friends. I'm telling you this, outside of God's gathered people, nobody is proclaiming a gospel of salvation that saves. What he's saying is, is if, we, if we get in the habit of forsaking this gathering, and, and then we don't have this common grace, or this, this particular grace, I guess, uh, of God's people stirring us to love and to good deeds, to obey Jesus, and, and we give our lives then over to patterns of habitual sin, what he's saying is, is there is no gospel out there. There is no hope out there. You've lost, you've left the hope of Jesus Christ that is only found here. This is shocking for most modern believers today. The primary reason we gather for church is so that we might endure. The primary reason that we get, our incentive is, is, is an eternal one. What we realize is that eternity is at stake for me and for you. And I can't miss this gathering. You know, most people, when you ask them why they go to church, you hear things like, friends, I've got friends there. I, I, I go because I've got a bunch of good friends. I've also heard people say, yeah, I'm not coming to church anymore. I don't have any friends there anymore. A lot of times people gather just because they got some friends. They met some people they like there, and that's where they happen to see them. Or another reason that people might give for why they go to church is because they go and they feel good. I just, I just feel good when I go. I can't explain it. When I, I don't feel good beforehand, and when I leave, I feel good. Or another reason people might give is it's inspiring. I get inspired when, I, when I'm there. I, I, I get inspired to do things, to be a certain kind of person. Well, now, all of those things are, are good. None of those things are bad. But that isn't the incentive that the author of Hebrews gives us. The author of Hebrews gives us this picture of hell, this picture of eternity. It says, keep eternity in mind. Your incentive to gather is so that you might endure in the faith. It's no wonder today so many pastors preach sermons that just make you feel good. It's no wonder today that so many pastors just preach sermons that are inspiring. It's no wonder today that so many churches just get people in groups according to common interests to create friendships. It's because that's why people are going to church. 
But what happens when the pastor's message doesn't make you feel good? What happens when it's not inspiring? What happens when your friends all move away and they're not there anymore? No, we need to go because Jesus is there. We need to go because I want to see Jesus. I want to endure in my faith. And this is one of the means that God has given me to endure. So I'm going to be faithful to Him, and I'm not going to get into the habit, as some are, of neglecting this gathering. A man was turning 100 years old. And on his 100th birthday, they had a a birthday party for him at his church where he had attended for years since he was a young man. And uh, his grandson got on the mic and he said, Grandpa, tell us why after all of these years you still attend church. Which, by the way, when I was growing up, I thought at some point we'd graduate from church. <laughs> or a summer break. <laughs> Something. I remember going to church, and it was summertime. It was, school was out, and I had to go to church. I really I remember walking down the, the hallway down in our classroom area at our church building, and I remember asking my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. McNelly, when we get out for summer. And she said, we don't. And I was just like, like, are you serious? And I look at old people and be like, why are they still here? They should have graduated by now. (laughs) Well, so let's ask this 100-year-old man, why? At 100 years old, why do you still attend church every Sunday, week in and week out? This This was his response. He said, because I love Jesus with all my heart. He commanded me to be here, and I just want to show everybody whose side I'm on. Whose side are you on? As we show up, we show up because Jesus first commanded us to come, but also we want to show the world, show our church, Show our families, our kids, our spouse, our friends, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, and ourselves whose side we're on. As we gather together as a church, we get a glimpse into something much more. As we gather together as a church, we get a glimpse into the gathering of heaven. As we gather as a church, heaven is most real. It's during these times that we gather as a church, week in and week out, that the things of God become most valuable to us. And family, I need that. And you need that. The world is a broken place. Watch the news. Read what's going on. Look around you a little bit. There's brokenness all around us. We can hardly even walk from uh, uh, around the corner to to gather with church without seeing uh, uh, police lights and, and signs and evidence of brokenness all around us. Listen, I wasn't built for brokenness. I was built for heaven. 
And you were not built for brokenness. You were built for heaven. The world is divided. We see fights. We, 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 we see arguments. Uh, whether it's at the, the, the relational, one-on-one level, or maybe at your family uh, uh, level. Man, some of you probably had a wonderful Thanksgiving watching the family drama play out in front of you one more time, right? <laughs> We are divided even in our own families. And we could talk about our country. No, we're not going to talk about our country. But we're divided all over. Listen, I wasn't built for division. I was built for unity. You weren't built for division. You were built for unity. We're wired for these things. The world is false. The world sells us things that are plastic. They sell us ideas that are fake. They sell us saviors that won't save. Listen, and we buy these things. We look at it and we give ourselves to it. And then what we discover only after we find destruction is that we were lied to again. Listen, I wasn't built for lies. I was built for honesty. I was built to be a person who received truth. This is why we so often want to trust people even though we know that they're lying to us. It's because you weren't built for falsehood. You were built for truth. Oh, friends, listen. The church is the place where we have truth. The church is the place where we have unity. The church is is the place where we come together and we are reminded of peace, reality. The church, the gathering of God's people on earth, then, is just simply a foretaste into what we're going to have in heaven. Because somebody's going to say, well, Joel, I know there's disunity in the church. Somebody's going to say, Joel, I know that there's some problems with some individuals in the church. Yeah, you've got to remember we're still in our flesh. Our sin still gets in the way. This is why I say it's just a taste. But it is a taste It is a taste. And and, and don't minimize the taste that this gathered uh, presence is. You're not going to get this taste anywhere else. It's a taste of heaven. It's a taste of the unity and the wholeness that we are going to have in heaven. We show up. We come together and we gather so that we might see Jesus, so that we might be stirred to love and to good works and stir others to love and to good works, so that we might help one another endure until that final day. And with the Holy Spirit of God among us, family, we will endure. Amen? Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together in your name. We recognize that Jesus is present in this gathering and that we've come together to experience him. God, you've spoken to us through your word. I pray that you would take these things and solidify them in our hearts that we might know Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.